Philippians 4, 10 through 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You can take a seat. Good evening. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we are so glad that you are worshiping with us on this beautiful day. It's been great to worship with you already. We will continue to worship God this evening as we open up the word. As Hannah just read, we are in Philippians 4. We have been going through this series um, throughout this spring semester. And today, um, this is really the close of the letter. Um, It ends here with the content of the letter. And there's just two more verses to go, which we'll cover next week, which is really just the signature. It's the uh, Paul saying, best wishes, warmest regards, Paul. Uh, We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about what a benediction is next week. We're going to learn a little bit about that. We end our services with them, but we don't know a whole lot about it uh, oftentimes. So we're going to talk about that next week. But today we really close the content of the letter. Um, So that is where we are headed with the rest of tonight. But before you do that, I want to direct you to um, our webpage for Grace Downtown. If you go to graceb3.org and then backslash downtown, or if you go to just the homepage and click on locations and then click Iowa City, you'll find a page for downtown. And at the very top of the page, you'll find the most uh, pertinent and helpful information. One thing that we added this week is a tab where you can click on that and put in your email address to make sure that you're getting our weekly emails. Because every Wednesday afternoon, we send out an email just with three quick things to keep you up to date with what's going on. It's usually things you've heard about from the stage up here, but we want to make sure you are in the know. You can also volunteer to help out on a volunteer team or get into a community group right there. There's just a few tabs for you to click on. So wanted to direct you to that if you're ever looking for, I, I don't, I can't find what I'm looking for. Um, that's where you find it, at the top of that downtown page. You'll also find a link to our audio of our sermons. We record the audio uh, here downtown and then post those. So you can check those out at the top of the page as well. Imagine that we were a group of people that was so content in everything that God has, had provided for us that the outside world could look in at us and wonder how we could possibly be so content. Imagine if we were a people that was so generous towards one another that likewise the outside world would look at us and say, how could they possibly be so generous with one another but also with the community around them? 
that's a, a noble goal for us to be as a church. And in many ways, I see that in your lives and in our church already. But tonight, Paul is going to describe for us where that contentment and also where that generosity comes from. And ultimately, it's found in the one that is worthy of our praise and found in the main character of not only the book of Philippians, but the entire Bible. It's found in the riches we have in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me as we get started? Father, we come to you and we are in need tonight. We have many different needs represented in this room. And God, we come to you um, admitting our need. God, but we also want to spend the rest of tonight as we have started tonight looking to you, turning our eyes to you, the one who has abundant uh, resources, the one who has everything, the one who holds all things in his hand. God, we want to turn to you and receive from you what you would have for us tonight. God, some of the things we are aware of that we need, some of the things we don't even have the wisdom to ask for. But God, you know. I pray that you would provide for each person that is here tonight. God, you would provide us with exactly what you know that we need and that we would turn to you humbly and receive from you. I pray that we would leave here changed and new. And God, we want our lives to be more and more about you and what you are doing in our lives and in this world. So we pray to that end. We thank you for your word and your spirit and your people, and we pray that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would open with me to Philippians 4, the scripture uh, is not going to be up on the screen, so I trust you to follow along here with me. Um, I didn't put the scripture up here on the screen tonight for a couple of different reasons. I want to encourage us to be looking at the scripture uh, for ourselves as we listen to the sermon. But the second reason is because uh, Paul follows a little bit of a nonlinear format in what he's saying here. And I think that one of the reasons is because he's trying to close the letter. Did you notice at the beginning of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 he said, finally? (laughs) He said, finally, in chapter 3, and then he said, finally, in chapter 4. This reminds us that Paul is a church planter, but he probably was also a preacher right? Because if the preacher says, in conclusion, you know you got 20 minutes left. So Paul's been doing that for a while now. Finally, finally. So he's trying to end this letter, and he's like, okay, I got to throw some things in here to the end. They are nonlinear, but they are all connected to one another in these 10 verses, but to the rest of the message of the letter as well. So things are in a nonlinear format. So we're going to look at a few verses here, and then I'll put a heading up here of what they are talking about. So Philippians 4, uh, let's take a look at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. So let's stop right there. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Remember what we've learned about rejoicing in this book. This is uh, a handful of times now that Paul has told us to rejoice or said that he was rejoicing. Rejoicing is a state of being based on joy. It is not happiness based on circumstances. It is not happiness based on what we have or what we don't have. But really rejoicing is a state of being based on joy. It is a joy outside of circumstances. It is a contentment in who God is and what he has provided. So here Paul is saying, I rejoiced about something. I am in a state of joy and it's for a reason. So we need to know that going in. He's about to tell us why he is rejoicing, why he is in a state of particular joy. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
Let's skip down to verses 14, 15, and 16 to see what he's referring to. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my need once and again. So Paul is rejoicing. He is rejoicing in a couple of things here. He is rejoicing in how the church in Philippi has supported him. Remember, Paul is a church planter. He goes around and he empowers a group of people. He equips a group of people to start a church, to start a gospel movement in a major metropolitan area. So he does that in Philippi and he checks back in with those churches. And then those churches, some of them continue to support Paul financially because he is in need of financial help because he is not staying at any one church to receive the funds from that church. He is moving around and planting churches. So he is thanking them for their financial partnership with them. He is also thanking them for the relational aspect of their gospel partnership. So here from the get-go, we see that he is rejoicing because of their gospel partnership. They are partners in the gospel. They are not only sharing material goods and finances with him, but they are sharing in something more in deeper. And that's the sense that we get from these verses and this entire section that Paul has. We see this word again, concern, concern in verse 10. You have revived your concern for me. This is the ninth time that we have seen the word concern in this letter. And each time it is the same Greek word. Sometimes it's translated considered. Sometimes it's concern. Uh, Sometimes it spells it out and says of same mind, but it's all the same Greek word. And it means synced minds. Our minds are synced with one another. We have a concern for the same things. Let me illustrate this by talking about two levels of concern I have about the world right now. I am concerned for Ukraine. As I think most of us are, we are concerned about what is going on in Ukraine. We're concerned about the Ukrainian people. We are concerned about brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. We are concerned for the gospel witness in Ukraine. We're concerned for what is going on in Ukraine and how it affects the geopolitical climate and the safety of the world. There's concern at multiple levels when it comes to Ukraine. So that's one kind of concern. I have that concern. But then I also have a concern for my kids. I have a concern for their well-being. Um, we were once at the state fair, uh, the Iowa State Fair. It's a yearly tradition for us. And there's a, a fountain that the kids play in. It shoots water out if you've been before. And especially if you have children, you've seen this. Water shoots out and kids kind of strip off their clothes and run through the fountain. And there's just a bunch of kids playing. And it turns out often that there are a few dozen kids playing. Well, I took my eye off one of my kids once just for a split second. I turned around and couldn't find him. And I turned and looked around and all I saw was kids this tall. And they all looked the same, and I couldn't find the one that belonged to me. I was very concerned for my kids' whereabout and well-being. Concerned for Ukraine, but concerned, where is my child? That's two different concerns, right? That second concern is what Paul's talking about here. Such concern that we share a mind. Meaning if you're concerned about something, I have the same concern about it. He's talking about empathy here instead of sympathy. Not, I'm concerned because you're concerned, but I'm concerned and you're concerned and we share a mind about it. That's the level of concern that he is talking about. He's saying because we shared a like-mindedness, a same-mindedness about the gospel, you gladly partnered with me financially 
even though I am not there doing ministry with you, even though I'm not your staff pastor, even though I'm benefiting these other churches, even though I'm in jail, and it may be that I lose my head after I'm done with this letter, you have been generous in joining with me for the gospel. So they have that one mind concern. This gospel partnership, this one-mindedness is unique to the gospel. It is unique to authentic biblical community and biblical Christianity. It is countercultural, first and foremost. The culture is not, by and large, concerned with anyone else or anyone else's well-being outside of self. There's a narcissistic tendency that we have. So it's countercultural, but it's also counter self and it's counter kind of church culture sometimes as well. Church can even become something where those that know Jesus, who are in Christ, it becomes an individual activity. It becomes about uh, listening to sermons on our own or worshiping from home as we had to during COVID, but that really fed something inside of us where even our church life, even our worship can become something that is very individualistic that is no longer about other people and having a like-mindedness with others. So that narcissistic self-interest can seep its way into our mindset as well. Everything in our culture is feeding into that, and we buy into that as well, even though we know that's not the way that we should be. So a gospel partnership, a group of people that is united and of one mind about Christ, is a very countercultural thing. And as we said at the beginning of this letter, at the very introduction of Philippi, we talked about what we have in common as believers. And the one thing that we have in common as believers is Jesus. We may have nothing else in common. In fact, we may have more superficial things in common with people that we work with, people that we live with, people that we go to school with, people in our family, but we have the most in common with those who are in Christ. It doesn't mean that we're the same. We talked about that. That's not the same. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about sameness. We're talking about unity, one-mindedness, because we all think the same way about Jesus. That's what a gospel partnership looks like. So that's the first thing that Paul is pointing out to us. Second, let's look at verses 11 through 13, and then we'll look at verse 19. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay, so let's stop right there, actually. Paul says, I have been high and I have been low, but I've been content either way. So let's think about what we know about Paul. When has he been high and when has he been low? Well, he was high when he was religious, when he was persecuting Christians, when he was persecuting these Jesus followers, when he was martyring or calling out for the martyring of those who were following Jesus. He was high in influence. He was high in affluence. And his circumstances at that point were high. He is high again because he is thinking about, he is in a high position because he is thinking about the partnership that he has with the church in Philippi and the financial resources that they have provided him. So this is another opportunity where he is in a place where things are joyful, where he can rejoice because of the good things going on. Other times when he has been rejoicing is when he has seen super 
supernatural acts of God. As God is planting churches through the believers, Paul has been in the front row of seeing some really great things happen. He is seeing fruitful churches being planted all over the known world. That could get him to a place where his circumstances are good. He also knows what it means to be brought low, right? Because when he stopped persecuting Christians and started following Jesus and became someone who was in Christ, then the persecution against him started. Lashes, beatings, imprisonment. He is in prison not knowing if he's going to lose his head as he writes this letter. He had been shipwrecked multiple times. Paul had been in High circumstances, low circumstances. But look at what he tells us here. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So what's the secret? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What he is talking about here, the big idea that he is talking about in these verses is the abundance found in Christ. He is talking about abundance. The secret to contentment is the abundance that we have in Christ. And this comes in three forms, or there's three aspects to this abundance, and we're going to talk about all three. The first one is a trust in God. We put a trust in God because of the abundance that we find in him. Now, if you come up to me and you say, um, I have a need, I have a bill that I can't pay, or I have uh, this bill that's coming to me, I have this amount that I have to pay, and I'm not able to pay it, is there anything you can do for me? I am going to base my decision on if and how I help you on two things. One is what resources do I have, right? Can I physically meet this need? If you come up to me and say, I need a million dollars, there's only so much I can do. Even if I ask everyone in this room, hey, let's take up a collection. We may get to a thousand. You all are very generous people. We may get to 10,000. We're not getting to a million, right? So there's a limit based on resources. But just to be honest here, and I need you to be honest too, so I'm not the only one here, it's based on how well I know you, right? If one of your friends one of your family members, someone you already know and trust comes to you and asks for help, you're like, what do I got to do? How, how do I help you? But if you don't know the person, you are less likely to know, oh, I don't know what they're really going to use this money for. They're going to tell the truth. I may not trust them. Paul here is saying that abundance comes from a trust in God because he has everything that you need. The one you are going for to ask for help when you or someone else needs help is the one that owns all things and already loves you in Christ Jesus. He knows you. We just read in the the catechism there that we were reading from that he is working all things together for our salvation. So the one who owns all things, who has heavenly storehouses laden with snow and knows you perfectly is the one that we go to and ask for the things that we need. So Paul has an abundance mindset because first and foremost, he trusts in God. He trusts that God has everything he needs and he trusts God has everything the church in Philippi needs and he trusts that the whole gospel movement that's going on in the world is an act of the spirit and God has everything he needs to accomplish what he needs to do. So Paul is content whether he is hungry or he has plenty because he says, God has everything I need. And this is what he's chosen to give me right now. 
So he is living in a place of contentment because he has a trust in God. This trust in God leads to a contentment. Look with me how he says that I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret in verse 12. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. This word secret, it is like when you know a secret and you need to have this secret to get into a cult or a group of people. That's the word that he uses here. It's a Greek word that they would use for someone who needed to know a secret word or a secret saying in order to get into a group or even to get into a physical space. Paul here is saying there's a secret society, a secret group of people, and it's the content people. Has that group of people ever seemed like a secret society to you? A group that you were the outside looking in on? I've been there. Where I feel like, how are these people finding contentment? You know when you notice this the most? When you're not happy? And you're just kind of like mad at everyone and you're like yelling at drivers because they're bad drivers and stuff. And then you start noticing people that are content. You're like, how are you so content? It seems like a secret society or a secret group. And it's like, they must have a better life than me. They certainly have more money than me. They probably have more time than me. They probably already finished school. That's for sure. It seems like this secret society of people that is content. Paul is saying, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. And the secret is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This verse has been more misconstrued than just about any verse in the New Testament. It's made many a bumper sticker. What Paul is saying here, and it's a little more clear in the Greek, but we can get there by looking at the context here. He is saying that whether you have plenty or you are in want, you can be content through Christ who gives you strength. You can, you can go through all of these things. That's what he's referring to. You can go through all of these things. All these things can happen to you. And you can still have contentment through Christ who strengthens you. You can have a contentment that is not based on your circumstances. Paul here is intentionally pointing something out about the difference between someone who is in Christ and the rest of the world around them. Those in Philippi and anyone really in the first century that came out of a Greek society would have known that both the Hellenists, the Greeks, and the Stoics talked a lot about contentment. It was, in fact, one of the top virtues that you could have as an individual in the first century in a Greek society. Contentment was one of the great virtues that people were striving after in their life. But the virtue was just that. It was seen as a virtue. It was seen as something that you accomplish. It's a stage that you get to where you rise above the circumstances around you in order to have a contentment. The Stoics really hit on this. There there was a way to be Stoic. There was a way to be content. There was a, a way to not be too emotional based on your circumstances that came from inside of a person. You can see how this was seen as like a virtue where others would look at someone and say, oh, look what they have achieved. I need to work my way towards that. That was the teaching of the day. That was the philosophy of the day. Just like us, some 2,000 years later, where contentment is seen, those who are content are seen as the secret society. It was the same in Paul's day. Paul intentionally says it's actually 
the opposite. Here Paul is describing not an inside-out contentment, but an outside-in, where something outside of us is giving us contentment. See, the only reason that we, the only way that we can have contentment that is outside of our circumstances is to receive contentment from outside of our circumstances, right? And that contentment is coming from someone else being the actor, someone else being the initiator for our contentment and for our peace. And it's found in Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He is the one strengthening me. It is in Christ Jesus that I am content. Verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He is the one with the abundance. We are found in Christ and it's he that gets the glory. It's his glory, his abundance, which is acted upon us. That's how we receive contentment. The third aspect of this abundance is when we know that God is abundant and he has all things, we can live a life of generosity. Of generosity. This leads to a trust in God, a contentment in what we have, and then a generosity towards others. He is saying that you have learned to be content. I have learned to be content. And now we can be generous towards one another. Here's the very street level way of, of summarizing these, all 10 of these verses. Paul is saying, thank you so much for your financial gift, but I was content before I got it. I was content before I received your gift because I found the secret of being content no matter my circumstances. So that's abundance. Next, we're going to conclude uh, our look at this passage by talking about fruitful living. He's talking about fruitful living. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Here, Paul is saying, once again, I don't just seek your gift. That's not what I was after. He says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What he is saying is he, his greatest contentment, his greatest joy, the reason he is rejoicing is to see God work in their life. They had reached a place of contentment, which led to a place of generosity. And yes, of course, it benefited Paul's physical circumstances, but he's saying, really, the joy comes from seeing your fruitful living and to seeing God receive your pleasing and acceptable sacrifice. This laying down of your life, this generosity, this giving of yourself, this sharing in physical needs, but also sharing in my trouble. This having one-mindedness with me, this has led to worship of God. And that makes me happy. That brings rejoicing. That brings contentment. Fruitful living. Fruitful living, living a life where we are faithfully obeying God and we are seeing fruit come in our life, comes from remembering the abundance that we have in Christ. When we know that there is something of utmost importance in our life and in this world, we will do anything to change our life, to be in line with that fact. So I will never forget the season of my life where I was saving up to buy the engagement ring to ask my wife to marry me. 
I, at the time, was volunteering in ministry and working part-time at a coffee shop. So I was rolling in the dough, as you can tell. So in order to buy her ring, I needed to save up more money uh, than I currently had. I, I was not in a situation where I could save a lot of money. I was really just spending money as soon as I made it because I was trying to volunteer more and more in the youth group at church. And so I was taking every penny and just spending it on, on what I absolutely had to pay for. But I, I knew that I wanted to buy a ring and ask her to marry me. And so I started saving my money. But in order to save money, I had to cut costs. Quick economic lesson. I had to cut costs in order to save money. I didn't have a credit card at the time. Uh, so it was just, I lived in a cash world. Um, and I had to save basically every penny for an entire month. All the money that I made for a month at the coffee shop in order to buy the ring. So you may ask, what did I do? Well, I worked at a coffee shop, so free coffee, check, that was taken care of. But I, I kid you not, for a month, I lived off of uh, French loaves of bread that I would just take butter that I stole from my parents, and I would take French bread, 99 cents at Hy-Vee, and I would eat uh, French bread with butter on it, and I would make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for every meal for an entire month to save every penny. And I will never forget, I got to the point where I'd finally saved up enough money and I finally had the money to go and buy the ring. I'll never forget the excitement of going and buying the ring, getting the little box, then putting in it, then giving it to me, me figuring out what am I going to do with this for a week till I ask her to marry me. I'll never forget taking it in the car with me as I drove from Kansas City up to her parents' farm in Iowa to ask her parents for her hand in marriage and being able to show them the ring that I was going to give to her. I'll never forget driving through a blizzard to get up to Iowa in a little Civic hatchback. I borrowed my brother's Civic hatchback because it was the nice car in our family uh, and came up here in a blizzard, asked her parents if I could marry her, and then gave it to her a few days later. The moral of this story is that when we find something of utmost importance, it changes the way we live our life. If verse 19 is true, if my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, if we really believe that we have found the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls, if we have found that we have been saved from ourselves, saved from our sins, if we really believe the riches that we have from the Father in Christ Jesus, then it will change the way we live our lives. We will make any sacrifice that it takes. We will have contentment in plenty or in want. It changes our everyday life when we are living for the one thing that is rich, the one thing that is great, the one thing that is of utmost importance. That is what Paul is getting at. He is just following in the teachings of Jesus. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus tells this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Paul is saying that his greatest joy, the reason that he is rejoicing, is that the church whom he loves and the people whom he loves have found contentment in Christ and has led them to generous living, which leads to worship of God. In verse 20, 
he ends to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This leads to worship of God. He is worshiping God. He is asking them to worship God. And others will worship God because of their generosity. All based on who God is and what he has promised. He is the one that is rich. He is the one with abundance. So we conclude with this question. Does your life show that your heavenly father is rich? Does my life show, does our life show, does our biblical community show that our heavenly father is rich, not just in physical possessions, but he has given us Everything we need for life and godliness, does our level of peace, does our level of contentment, does our level of generosity show that our Heavenly Father is rich? What Paul is describing here is that worship, a view of God, a proper view of God, leads to obedience, which leads to our worship of God and others worshiping God, and hopefully the outside world turning to worship God as well. So three implications of this text, three things that we can do to live this out. The first one is to marinate in his abundant grace. Marinate in his abundant grace. The way that we know that in him we have everything that we need is leaning in to grace. When we blow it, when we know we've done the wrong thing, when we just can't get out of our own way, when once again our circumstances have stolen away our happiness, when the foundations that we feel like we've built our life upon seem shaky and this idea of contentment seems like a pipe dream, we lean into grace. We can get so caught up in trying to be content or trying to be generous people that we lose sight of grace, what we've been given in Christ Jesus, in order to have contentment, in order to be a generous person, the focus needs to not be on us and not just be on other people, but it needs to be on God, the giver. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In him, meaning Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We have been given abundant grace. And we can find contentment and generosity when we marinate in his abundant grace. What, what do you need to do differently to remember his abundant grace? First and foremost, you need to make sure that you know about this abundant grace. Don't wait until you have cleaned up your life so that Jesus will love you. That's not how it works. That's not what Paul did. <laughs> Paul He was walking on a road and Jesus showed up and Jesus showed him his abundant grace. First, we have to receive that abundant grace and know that there's no hope for us apart from Christ. There's no contentment outside of Christ. We first have to know that there is abundant grace, but then we have to live in light of that abundant grace. 
to constantly, daily be reminded of his abundant grace through the scripture, through his spirit, through his people. We need to be reminded of abundant grace. Second, we need to cultivate a habit of thanksgiving and generosity. Cultivate a habit of thanksgiving and generosity. And I believe that the two go hand in hand. That as we cultivate a habit of being thankful, it makes us more generous people because we see how much we have. Please don't for a minute here think that we are talking about being generous because we have a lot of money. Generosity is not just about the dollars, not the amount of the sacrifice. It's about a heart that realizes that they have been given abundant blessings in Christ, that is connected to others because of their gospel partnership, and then out of their contentment and out of the riches that are found in Christ, they then can live generous lives. We need to cultivate this, I think, particularly when we don't have a lot to give. We need to build this habit into our lives. We need to build this habit into our kids. We need to build this habit into our church of being generous with others. And we need to cultivate that through thanksgiving. This seems so simple, and you're probably not going to believe me if you've never tried it, but start and end your day with writing down five things that you're thankful for. It, it's like counseling. It is that helpful. It turns your focus off of self. It turns your focus off of your circumstances. And it shows you, no matter your circumstances, that you really have a lot to be thankful for. Start simple. There have been times when I was either so tired or so just kind of down and didn't have the right mindset that I just was sitting there in the morning and said, God, thank you for this cup of coffee. Start with that. And you can go meta if you want. You can go big picture and thank God for, you know, being in control of the whole universe, but just start small. Make a list of the things that you're thankful for as you start your day, as you end your day. Cultivate that habit of thanksgiving and then cultivate a habit of generosity. Cultivate a habit of deferring to others, the preference of others, to others going first. Slow down in order to defer to others. This cultivates a habit of thanksgiving and generosity. It appears Paul has done so. And he encourages the church to do so as well. And lastly, live out our gospel partnership. We really need each other. We really need each other. Sometimes that's financial, but more often than not, it's just relational, emotional, spiritual. We are made to be in community with one another. And the Bible is written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the will of the Father, through the work of Christ. So it's written from relationship, from community. It's written by people that are in community with one another. It's written about being in community with one another. You can't obey the New Testament without knowing other people. That's a lot of what Paul is talking about. This is what it looks like to be interconnected in a gospel partnership with one another. And then we read it in community. We grow in community. Others speak into our lives. You hear me pray often, God, speak through your word, your spirit, and your people. We need to hear from other people what we forget in our own lives. We need to hear from people truths that we have forgotten. We need to hear from other people, other brothers and sisters in Christ, encouragement when we are lacking courage. We need to lean in to our gospel partnership. When we are struggling, our first instinct is to withdraw. 
But in the gospel, that's when we should lean into others the most. I know it's scary. I know that we don't naturally want to do it. I know it's not of this world. It's otherworldly. It's not in our flesh. It's not what we want to do. But as we lean into gospel community, God reminds us of the good news of the gospel. I want to commend you for ways that I see that happening already in our church and in your lives. And as you offer that for me and my family, I want to thank you for what I already see in you. But we can continue to lean into one another as we go through difficult times or as we struggle with contentment. We can live out our gospel partnership. Paul starts this section by saying, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He is rejoicing because he sees the fruit of the spirit working in the church in Philippi. He sees the contentment that they have. He sees the generosity that they are living with. And he says that I am rejoicing in that, but ultimately, as he says in verse 20, it is to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May our lives and may our church be that fragrant aroma to God when he looks down on us that he would see us living in relationship with one another, a gospel partnership with one another where he receives glory and we receive contentment and joy. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, we need your help to do these things. Father, most of all, we need to be reminded that the gospel is good news. Father, in and of ourselves, we have nothing but bad news for ourselves. God, we look out into the world and we see bad news. God, there is no hope for salvation. There is no hope for contentment apart from you, Jesus, and what you have done for us. God, I pray that we would remember the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that we would walk in contentment, that we would walk in generosity. God, I pray that we would be a people that lives out the gospel as we love one another for Jesus' sake. God, I pray that you would be worshiped, that our lives would worship you, that the things we say and do and think about in our lives and in our church and in our biblical community would bring honor and glory to you. God, I pray that you would speak to each one here, that they would know what their next step is. And God, that they would by faith take that next step and trust you. God, I pray that they would remember the abundance that they have in Christ, that they would remember who their heavenly father is. God, I pray that if anyone here is struggling with this concept, struggling, struggling particularly with contentment or peace, or if they're struggling just to know if there's abundant grace for them, God, I pray that they would reach out first off and find you. That you would see what you offer them tonight, but they would also reach out for help. God, thank you for what you have spoken here tonight. We pray that you would be honored and praised with the rest of our day. In Jesus' name, amen.